Following predetermined rules doesn't appeal to a lot of storytellers, but even rule breakers benefit from a cheat sheet. I'm Rem Whitcraft, and this is Fiction Briefly. Quentin Tarantino's first Oscar win for screenwriting came with Pulp Fiction in 1995, a story famous for its unconventional order of events. He repeated his screenwriting win with Django Unchained in 2013, again veering from traditional formulas. But even in rejecting the established norms collected from thousands of years of storytelling, common techniques still build the foundation of this film. If you haven't seen Django Unchained, beware. Spoilers ahead. To analyze this film, we have to sort through some disturbing themes. Stories depicting slavery touch on what humans are capable of in terms of evil, but they also highlight the immeasurable suffering of a population denied even basic health care, education, and secure familial bonds. These stories often use graphic images to connect audiences with the horrific realities of human trafficking. Solomon Northrup wrote Twelve Years a Slave, a personal account of his kidnapping and subsequent enslavement from 1841 to 1853. Adapted to film for a Best Picture Oscar win in 2014, the cruelty of Northrop's real-life experiences compares to the fictional runaway slave Cora in Colson Whitehead's The Underground Railroad, published in 2016. Both describe the terror inflicted upon enslaved people so as to gain control over them. Django Unchained also illustrates this odious nature of the slave-owning villains and their crimes to humanity. These crimes bring Quentin Tarantino's main villain to ask, why don't they kill us? However, revenge isn't practical until his character Django develops a taste for blood as a bounty hunter. His training blurs the lines of good and evil, where good represents a character oppressed by an unjust system of ownership, and the evil lies with those in power. Have good conquer evil and the audience leave satisfied. Have good do something questionable, if only for a moment, you get closer to the realities of human nature. Traditional stories are typically stingy with their hero's faults because of audience expectations. These expectations are outlined in Vladimir Propp's Morphology of a Folktale, and many appear in Tarantino's Django Unchained. Prop emphasizes that the order of events must stay the same. Why mess with perfection, right? After all, the formula has all the bugs worked out. When someone reinvents the wheel, they might sacrifice the chain of motivation so crucial to maintaining audience engagement. And that motivation helps determine whether a hero's failure is forgivable or not. Django Unchained starts typically enough at stage one, absentation, where a member of the family leaves home. We are introduced to Django while chained to several other men as two slave traders march them across the country. The order then skips to 12, the first function of the donor. With the help of a magical agent or helper, the hero gets tested. 
A bounty hunter interrupts the slave traders purchasing Django as Django can help in the capture of three fugitives. The bounty hunter is the mentor in this story, born and raised in Germany, which is important for two reasons. He is an outsider to slave culture, a businessman and opportunist more than a humanitarian. But basic decency dictates that he free Django and ensure his companion's survival. The second plot point ties the German to Django's estranged wife through a common language. Her name, Brumhilde, comes from her former slaveholders who taught her to speak German. The mention of Brumhilde conjures stage eight, lack, where the hero lacks something. Django has been taken far away from the only personal connection left to him as Brumhilde now lives on a plantation in Greenville, Mississippi. Her current location is not assured as they must trust spotty records kept by slave owners, but they will do their best to find her with the information they have. Stage 14, or provision of a magical agent, leads to stage 29, transfiguration, where the hero gains a new appearance. The provisions for Django from his mentor include information, weapons, and new attire, the fanciest clothing Django can find to celebrate his newfound freedom. But the most important of the German's deeds is the partnership allowing Django to earn a living. Over the winter, Django accompanies the German in his bounty hunting after being trained to shoot. Django takes to this new skill naturally and finds enjoyment in tracking and collecting people society has deemed acceptable to kill. Django trusts the wisdom of the German without question, a blind devotion that will get him in trouble later. In stage 10, beginning counteraction, the hero hatches a plan. The German comes up with a bait-and-switch plan, where they will pretend Django is an expert in enslaved gladiators. The target of their grift is Calvin Candy, who they believe owns Brumhilde. They hope to gain a better price for her freedom by feigning interest in a gladiator. Next in stage 11, Departure, the hero leaves the home environment, this time with a sense of purpose. With the plan in place, Django and the Germans search out their mark. This brings us all the way back to what is stage two, the interdiction, where the hero is told to avoid a person or a place. The German warns Django to stay in character. This role forces him into what Django describes as the lowest form of human being, the ultimate opportunist. This is a person who betrays his past connection to other enslaved peoples for personal benefit. But this is where morality gets muddy. Django can't save every slave he comes across, and he can't behave in a way that endangers himself. But given the opportunity, shouldn't a hero err on the side of mercy? In stage nine, mediation, the hero learns what he's up against. Django's first struggle lies in remaining unmoved as one enslaved gladiator kills another for sport. This is Django's introduction to Mr. Candy and an indication of his mark's thirst for blood. Django's resolve is further tested when forced to watch the gory capital punishment of another human being. 
In this circumstance, Django has the opportunity to save this runaway gladiator who no longer wants to fight. To intervene, Django could have offered this slave's purchase as part of the agreement already proposed to Mr. Candy. But Django opts to dig deeper into his character and show disdain for this slave's life. In stage 15, Guidance, the hero is led to an important object. In this case, the object is the damsel in distress, Broomhilda. Mr. Candy guides them to his plantation where Broomhilda is held captive in a covered water tank after she too failed escape. This is where we meet another villain, Django's enslaved counterpart, Stephen, who derives pleasure from his position of power over Mr. Candy's other slaves. When the party arrives in their rooms inside the Candyland plantation, we reach stage 19, liquidation of lack, where the initial lack has been removed. Django and Broomhilda reunite for the first time in years. Arranged as a conjugal visit with the German in his private room, this is where the shared language is used to their advantage. But dinner time tests their plan yet again. In stage three violation, the hero ignores the German's warning to stay in character. This leaves room for the villain to act against the hero's family. Django violates his character, showing interest in Broomhilda as she serves dinner. This leads to stage 27, Recognized, where the hero is recognized. Stephen's enjoyment of his influence over Mr. Candy supersedes any loyalty he has for other human beings under Mr. Candy's control. He may not know who Django is or the exact threat to the Candyland plantation, but he senses foul play. It's obvious Django and Broomhilda have met before. In Stage 4 Reconnaissance, the villain makes an effort to attain the knowledge needed to fulfill their plot. Stephen interrogates Broomhilda to discover the reason for her deception. In Stage 5 Delivery, the villain succeeds in part of their plan. Overwhelmed by her recent punishment and the surprise visit of her husband, Broomhilda cannot tell a convincing lie. Stephen lures Mr. Candy into another room and they advance to stage six, trickery. This is where the villain tries to trick the victim either to capture the victim or steal something valuable. Rightly suspecting that he will be jilted on the purchase of his gladiator, Mr. Candy has one of his henchmen hold Broomhilda captive and demands his guest's money at gunpoint. In stage seven, complicity, the victim is either fooled or forced into cooperation. The German pays Mr. Candy the amount promised in exchange for Broomhilda's life. The trio is then set to leave the plantation in shame, having lost all their money. All the German has to do is shake hands with Mr. Candy to validate the purchase. But the German, even with all three of their lives in danger, won't stoop to this final humiliation. In stage 18, victory, the villain is defeated. The German shoots Mr. Candy dead as a culmination of the resentment the German has suffered since the two met. 
This resentment is illustrated by a flashback of the barbaric punishment suffered by Mr. Candy's gladiator, the one Django could have saved. Now repeat stage 8, this time with villainy, where the villain harms someone. The German is killed in retaliation, and a gunfight ensues. In stage 16, struggle, the hero and villain fight. Django and Brumhilda are separated in the gunfight, with Mr. Candy's surviving henchmen. There is no way Django can come out alive and save Brumhilda as well, so Django surrenders. The following stage is commonly known as the dark moment, when everything seems lost. Vladimir Prop Stage 17 branding can coincide with this dark moment since the hero is scarred, but the scarring step is skipped in Django Unchained. Our hero remains physically unscathed, even after being hung upside down naked, but things look very bleak indeed. With the threat of castration imminent, the audience wonders how Django will prevail. This corresponds to Stage 22, The Rescue, where someone rescues the hero. It was used in Star Wars A New Hope when the Millennium Falcon comes out of nowhere to knock Vader off Luke's tail. For Django, the remaining villain Steven intervenes before the castration, suggesting a supposedly more brutal sentence. If Coulson Whitehead wrote this script, I'm guessing Django would not have been spared any violence. But Steven hates Django because he resents having to serve in a position below him. Prolonging the hero's life and failing to physically disable him is a classic villain's blunder and will be Steven's undoing. Though Django has been run tired behind a cart headed to a labor camp, he manages to escape, acquiring firepower which includes explosives. This leads to stage 25, difficult task, where the hero must solve a difficult problem. Outgunned, Django must somehow free Broomhilda. In stage 13, hero's reaction, the hero's skills are tested or he frees a captive. He reacts to the actions of the donor. Django has learned many things from the German, and because the mentor taught him to enjoy killing, Django has done a bang-up job ridding the plantation of his enemies. This leads to stage 26, Solution, where the hero is triumphant. After a bloody gun battle, Django gains control of the plantation. A special stage particularly satisfying for the audience is 30, Punishment, where the villain suffers the consequences of their actions, perhaps at the hands of the hero, the avenged victims, or as a direct result of their own ploy. Django shoots Steven in the knees and lets him suffer before the whole plantation goes up in smoke. The last of all stages is 31, The Wedding, where the hero marries and is rewarded or promoted by the family or community, typically ascending to a throne. The only throne Django ascends to is his horse, but this is the vehicle for their freedom. The audience assumes a happily ever after is in order for Django and Brumhilda as they leave the destruction in their past. Fiction can't take us back in time, not completely, 
especially when it comes to understanding the attitudes surrounding slavery and the experiences of millions who toiled and died without basic rights. To truly understand Django's character, we would need to see the emotional transition to freedom and why love was such a rare commodity in his life worth killing and betraying for. Like my episode on Hamilton, Django must overcome extreme deficiencies. At the film's start, Django is without a home, family, or friends, and chained to other human cargo. We come to understand that for survival purposes, it's everyone for themselves. Colson Whitehead's The Underground Railroad explores this survivalism in more depth. If the endgame is freedom, the protagonist may use any means at her disposal to protect herself. But this isn't just for the initial escape. The struggle does not end without reaching a sustained condition of safety. Django Unchained concludes before reaching this ultimate goal, leaving it up to the imagination of the audience. When someone thinks of a disguised hero, a person with a mask like Batman or Zorro typically comes to mind, not a freed slave pretending to be a profiteer of human bondage. In the scene where Django must abandon all integrity and bury his humanity, he disguises himself as the lowest of the low in action, not just appearance. One could argue that he became the evil he portrayed, just like Stephen sold out other slaves to gain approval, and the gladiators fought their captive counterparts to the death. Django's refusal to save the runaway gladiator is a turning point in the film, showing that when a human being loses every dignity, it can also rob them of empathy and charity. Certain decisions may be gratifying in the short term, but they can harm the larger goal of freedom and justice for all. If one believes advocating for oneself requires the suffering of another, if everyone is in it only for themselves, no one really wins. Mr. Candy and his crew are dead, Stephen is in pieces, and our hero is without the proper resources to survive in hostile territory. He lacks the knowledge of how and from whom to seek refuge on the long journey to ultimate freedom. So Django gets his revenge, but the day is far from saved for even the other slaves set free by his actions. Mr. Candy's question was, why don't they kill us? And my answer would be because it wouldn't help. Revenge may feel good in the moment, but far greater change must come to pass if lasting peace and prosperity will be had. Freedom will involve the stories of many more heroes and those who don't take sacrifice lightly. This episode was at the suggestion of a fellow listener, so please comment or suggest new content on my Facebook page, Fiction Briefly, as we near the end of the first season. Thanks goes to Kestrel and Mexican Spy Company for all music and sound production for this show. Again, this has been Fiction Briefly, giving you a glimpse into the mind of an artist. Thank you for listening.